Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Today we're coming to you live from the Belco Art Centre in Canberra. We're holding this live show to promote the launch of my new book, Bedtime Stories with R.A. Spratt, the book based on the stories from this podcast. So please rush out and buy a copy to support the show and help me keep kicking this can down the road. Now let's get into it. Today's story is The True History of Lady Godiva, as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children were all standing with their noses pressed against the window of Mrs Hesseltine's chocolatorium. It was 5am and it was cold, so every breath they made fogged up the glass, but that did not deter them, because Nanny Piggins had brought window-cleaning squidgies with her, which they used to wipe back and forth like car windscreen wipers between every breath. They were there because earlier that night, Mrs Hesseltine had received a new shipment of the finest chocolate from the finest chocolatier in the finest chocolate-making country in the world, Belgium. Now, the Green household was two kilometres away, but there was a prevailing wind. So the moment Mrs Hesseltine tore open the lid of the first box, Nanny Piggins sat bolt upright in her bed, instantly a thousand percent awake, as she caught the first waft of the delicious smell. After a few furtive minutes waking up the children and Boris, who, being a bear, was a deep sleeper, so this did involve blasting a fire extinguisher in his face, they were all running down the street, squidgies in hand, in the direction of Dulsford's finest chocolate-selling establishment. Nanny Piggins did not often frequent Hesselstein's Chocolatorium. Much as she liked fine chocolate, she also liked large volumes of chocolate. And as she was only paid ten cents an hour by Mr Green, she had to be frugal with her chocolate-buying dollars. But some chocolate is too good to resist, and it would be insulting to the chocolate artist who created it to quibble over the price. Plus, Mr Green's credit card was always easy to find, largely because Nanny Piggins kept it in her own shoe. Mr Green never spent money himself, so he hadn't yet realised that the credit card in his wallet was actually a papier-mâché replica. Mrs Hesseltine was putting the finishing touches on her display when Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children arrived at the chocolatorium. And by arrived, I mean Nanny Piggins sprinted down the street screaming, Chocolate! Before slamming, boom, into the shop window at full speed. Fortunately, Mrs Hesselstein's shop had bulletproof shock-resistant glass. She'd had it installed shortly after Nanny Piggins moved to the neighbourhood. Nanny Piggins beat on the glass with her trotters, screaming, Let us in! Let us in! With tears of chocolate anticipation in her eyes. Tears of chocolate anticipation are just like tears of joy, only more joyful because they're not about babies or princesses getting married. They're about pure joy, chocolatey bliss. 
Mrs. Hesselstein glowered. To be fair, she was very tired. She'd stayed up half the night waiting for the Belgian chocolate delivery. That's another thing all chocolate sellers had to do since Nanny Piggins moved into the neighbourhood. Receive shipments in the middle of the night so she couldn't hijack the delivery truck en route to the shop. I will not, said Mrs. Hesselstein. I'm going to bed. But we have money, pleaded Nanny Piggins. Not real money, credit card money, but you can have it all. If that's not enough, I'll run home and get the deed to the house. You can even have Mr Green's Rolls Royce as well. Just please, let us have some of your beautiful chocolate. I will not, said Mrs Hesselstein. This is a fine chocolate establishment, not a feeding trough. I will sell my chocolate with dignity at an appropriate hour and in a respectable fashion. But it smells so good, said Nanny Piggins. Her tears of chocolate joy were fast becoming tears of despair. And it will taste good, said Mrs. Hesselstein, when I open the shop at 9am like a normal person. I'm going home to bed. Mrs. Hesseltine lived above her chocolatorium, so she didn't have far to go. Nanny Piggins wept a little bit at this point, but she actually respected Mrs. Hesseltine's decision. She respected anyone who took chocolate as seriously as she did. Should we go home too, asked Derek. It's hours until the shop opens. We can get some sleep. Go home, exclaimed Nanny Piggins. We can't go home. What would we do if bandits robbed the store while we were away? No, we will line up to make sure we're the first to the store when it opens tomorrow. The children looked up and down the street. There was no one else in sight. There were no cars, no music. Everyone in Dulsford was asleep. Dulsford did attract a lot of dull people because of the name. Now, this situation may seem odd, but this was actually the kind of thing that often happened to the children since Nanny Piggins had become their nanny. She'd made them sleep outside Hans' bakery the night before he debuted his new recipe for lemon tarts. She'd made them camp on the nature strip outside the gelato shop the night before they began their two scoops for the price of one sale. And she'd often made them sit in the alley behind wedding venues playing cards, waiting for all the guests to go home so they could intercept the wedding cake leftovers before the wait staff threw them in the dumpster. So the children quickly reconciled themselves to several hours, staring in through the chocolate shop window. And to be fair, it was no hardship. The chocolates on display were beautiful. Each one was a little brown work of art, a precious visual delight, alluring and suggestive of the deliciousness within. Standing there, looking at each one in turn and imagining just how good it would taste was not a bad way to spend a few hours, really. They are very beautiful, said Michael. Pah! said Nanny Piggins. Beautiful isn't a beautiful enough word to encapsulate their beauty. There are no words for how good these chocolates taste. You've had Belgian chocolate before then, asked Samantha. Oh yes, one time, said Nanny Piggins. I was in Brussels, the capital of Belgium, and I walked past the royal palace where the king and queen live. The children waited to hear the rest of the story, but Nanny Piggins just resumed staring in through the window. Well, what happened when you walked past the palace, asked Samantha. Oh, I don't know, said Nanny Piggins. I woke up three days later covered in chocolate stains and in a cell at an immigration detention centre. I was ordered to leave the country immediately and forbidden to go within a 500 metre radius of the royal family ever again. But the stains on my dress, when I licked them, were divine. Well, we've got hours until the shop opens, said Derek. Why don't you tell us a story to pass the time? That's a good idea. I know. Why don't I tell you the story of how that chocolate got its name? Nanny Piggins pointed to a small square of chocolate at the back of the display. What is its name? asked Samantha. That is a Godiva chocolate, 
said Nanny Piggins. Godiva chocolates are the royal chocolates of Belgium. So was Godiva a Belgian person, asked Michael. No, actually, she was a 1,000-year-old naked English lady, said Nanny Piggins. What, asked Derek? Why did they name the chocolates after her? Oh, because of her hair, said Nanny Piggins. Godiva, the 1,000-year-old lady, apart from being famous for being naked, was also famous for having very long hair. In fact, the long hair was the only thing that kept the nudity from being too shocking. She draped it strategically about her person. Anyway, the chocolatier who founded Godiva Chocolate had a wife with long hair, and that was her nickname, Godiva, because of the hair, not the nudity. And he named his chocolate company after her. Well, that's just weird, said Derek. Well, only if you think about it, said Nanny Piggins. It makes complete sense otherwise. You'd better tell us the whole story, said Michael. All right, I will, said Nanny Piggins. As it happens, I know a lot about the story, because Lady Godiva was actually a distant relative of mine. Really, said Samantha. What a surprise. It all started pretty much exactly 1,000 years ago. That's a long time, said Michael. Yes, agreed Nanny Piggins. Things were very different back then. The Anglo-Saxons were in charge of Britain, so things were a lot more German than they are now. They all had much stranger names. Like Godiva, said Samantha. Yes, and Godiva was married to a man called Leo Frick. A family of blue people from the bright yellow planet take a fantabulous summer vacation trip all over the universe. Young Haon gets kidnapped by giant rats, and the whole family almost gets danced to death in outer space, but they still manage to go to intergalactic beaches, county fairs, nightclubs, motels, and they go shopping. On the podcast, I'll read from my middle grade novel version, and I'll play songs from the album. So come here, Space Vacation, the musical, and remember, the universe is like a song. The universe is like a song. Leo Frick? Gosh, he must have been bullied at school, said Michael. Indeed. Anyway, Leo Frick was an earl, and he was in charge of the whole entire middle bit of Britain. So he was a super important and super powerful man. You mean like a king, asked Derek. Yes, only kings don't usually do anything themselves. They just make other people do things for them, said Nanny Piggins. Like earls. Leo Frick was an earl, and he actually had to manage all the land and all the people in the land he controlled. It was a big responsibility. Godiva didn't see much of him during the day because he was always off doing important earl things, you know, checking on harvests, collecting taxes, hanging out with his bestie, the king, that sort of thing. But Godiva kept busy too. She was a Piggins after all. And like all Pigginses, she had her own unique, unparalleled talent. Something she was better at than any other person or any other pig in the entire world. What was it, asked Michael. Being good, said Nanny Piggins. Yeah, but what was she good at being good at, asked Michael. Goodness, said Nanny Piggins. That was what she was good at, goodness. Oh, for goodness sake, said Samantha. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. Godiva was a pillar of the community, a thoroughly well-meaning pig. She spent all her time doing good works and helping charities. Well, how did she help them, asked Derek. 
Well, I presume she said lots of supportive things like, jolly good show, and keep up the good work, said Nanny Piggins. But she also gave them buckets of money, sometimes literally in buckets. And sometimes she just gave them her own jewellery. What, said Michael? Well, you've got to understand, Godiva was a Piggins, so she was staggeringly beautiful and charming. So much so that her husband was deranged with love for her. He was constantly giving her jewellery, and she always said, thank you, then promptly re-gifted it to the charity of her choice. Well, didn't he notice, asked Derek. Oh, Derek, said Nanny Piggins, you're still young. You don't realise yet the power a truly beautiful woman can have over the mind of a man. My dear Aunt Godiva was so good-looking, she could sell off the entire castle while the Earl was standing in it, and he wouldn't notice so long as he was looking at her. Wow, that's good-looking, said Derek. Yes, said Nanny Piggins, but what did you expect? We're sitting here telling her story a thousand years after she lived. That takes next-level prettiness. So anyway, Leofric was managing the earldom, Godiva was managing the charities, and everything was going along tickety-boo. Or so they thought, until one day. Godiva had just been in Coventry Cathedral, giving the bishop a wad of cash so he could get the roof fixed, when she stepped out into the marketplace. It was market day, so all the townspeople were milling about doing their shopping, when Godiva heard two farmers talking about her husband. Ah, the earl must like poor people, said the farmer. Godiva smiled. She liked to hear her husband being praised. He must like poor people because he makes so many of them. (laughs) All the townspeople burst out laughing at this tremendous joke. But Godiva didn't understand. How do you make poor people? You can't build them in a factory. Apart from anything else, this was the early thousands. Factories hadn't been invented yet. What do you mean? demanded Godiva. The townspeople were shocked to see the most noble and important and beautiful lady in all of Middle England standing right there. They were frightened. Godiva gave so much money to the church, they assumed she was besties with God. So they were worried they might get struck with lightning for upsetting her. Oh, no disrespect meant your most worshipful ladyship, said the man, practically bent double as he bowed at her feet. We're sure your most respected and honoured husband only taxes us excessively because we are poor, stinky peasants who deserve no better. He taxes you excessively, asked Godiva. Oh, it's no more than we deserve, said another farmer. We don't all need to feed all our children. That would be greedy. We shouldn't expect as much. And all the children don't need to wear clothes and shoes. They can take turns one day a week each. What are these taxes of which you speak, asked Godiva? Well, um, there's a wheat tax. Oh, yes, I've heard of that one, said Godiva. Also, there's a window tax. Really, said Godiva. An ale tax, a barley tax, a sheep tax, a butter tax, a milk tax, a horse tax, a wheel tax, and a manure tax. He taxes manure, asked Godiva. Oh, only horse manure, said the farmer. There's a levy on cow manure. But isn't levy just another word for tax, asked Godiva. Oh, ma'am, I wouldn't know. I never went to school. My parents couldn't afford the learning tax. Well, I suppose horse and cow manure is disgusting. So if the tax is used to pay to clean the streets, well, that's a good thing, isn't it, said Godiva. Oh, yes, agreed the townspeople. But then there's also the chocolate tax, the cake tax and the chocolate cake tax. He's taxing chocolate? 
and cake and chocolate cake? exclaimed Godiva. Well, that is a bridge too far. Some things are too important, too beautiful, and too sacred to be taxed. It would be like taxing the air we breathe, only worse, because chocolate tastes so much better than air. I shall speak to my husband about this. Oh, dear ma'am, don't do that, said the farmer. We don't want you to get in trouble with the earl. Me? In trouble with the earl? Ha! said Godiva. It is he who should be worried about the trouble he's about to get in with me. That night, when the earl came home after hanging out with his BFF, the king, Godiva was up waiting for him. She gave him a piece of her mind. She railed, she ranted, she reasoned using graphs and statistics. She even wrestled him to the ground and gave him a nipple cripple. The townsfolk passing by the castle could hear her yelling, the screaming, the commotion going on late into the night. But Leofric would not budge. He said he couldn't lift the taxes. The king demanded the funds. And he couldn't refuse the king. It would be humiliating, embarrassing. He'd be laughed at by all the other earls. Now, Godiva did love her husband, but she had a true heart. She had to fight for what was right. She would not let the issue rest. Every night she argued and harangued Leofric about his cruel chocolate taxes. When the townspeople saw Godiva in the street, day by day she became a changed pig. She grew big bags under her eyes from all the late nights of tellings off, and she would stare at the ground as she wandered the streets, thinking up really cutting arguments to say to her husband that night. Finally, on the thirtieth night of arguing, as Godiva was telling Leofric that he should not care what the king thought, he shouldn't care about being embarrassed, he should only care about the welfare of his people, Leofric snapped. You say I shouldn't be embarrassed, declared Leofric, but you would never embarrass yourself for this cause. I would, said Godiva. Ha, said Leofric. Then I'll tell you what, I'll lift all the chocolate and cake taxes if you ride all the way down the high street of Coventry completely stark naked. Fine, said Godiva. When do you want me to do it? Leofric did not believe her. He thought she was bluffing, so he said... At twelve noon tomorrow, when the sun is highest, it's market day, so the high street will be crowded with all the citizens of Coventry. Fine, said Godiva. Twelve noon tomorrow, I'll take off all my clothes and go for a ride. And at one o'clock, you'll write a letter to the king and explain that you've cancelled all your silly taxes. Fine, said Leofric. Fine, said Godiva. Fine, said Leofric. Fine, said Godiva. Fine, said Leofric. Fine, said Godiva. Each backing away, not wanting to be the first to blink. As soon as she got out of the room, Godiva realised she was in a dreadful pickle. She didn't want to ride naked through the streets of Coventry on horseback. She got saddle sore when she was wearing clothes. Riding around in the nude would not be comfortable at all. Plus, she was the most esteemed and highly regarded do-gooder in the entire middle part of Britain. It would seriously dent her dignity if everyone saw her naked. She didn't know what to do. Godiva lay awake all night, worrying. But as the sun began to rise above the horizon, she had an idea. Before Leofric awoke, she leapt out of bed and ran down into the town. Hours later, when the earl got up, he met his wife at breakfast. She was tucking into a hearty meal as if nothing had happened. Leofric was relieved. He decided to do the same and let the matter drop. So uh, what are you up to today, my dear? asked the earl jovially. Well, I'm going to answer some correspondence, prune the roses, 
Then ride naked down the length of the high street, said Godiva. What, said the earl, you can't be serious. You can cry off now. I know you'll never go through with it. Really? Well, we'll soon see how wrong you are, said Godiva. At 11.55, she strode out to the stables. The earl followed her. You can stop this charade now, you know, said the earl. You've argued your case. You don't need to keep up the pretense. Will you lift the chocolate tax, the cake tax, and the chocolate cake tax, she asked. Of course not, said the earl. I would never embarrass myself in front of the king. Fine, then I'll embarrass myself in front of all our people, said Godiva, with which she stripped off her clothes. Godiva, what are you doing, said the earl. Fulfilling our bargain, said Godiva. Oh, you're not actually going to do it, are you, cried the earl. Of course I am, said Godiva. Giddy up, she said to the horse as it trotted forward. It doesn't count if you do it at a gallop, said the earl. Fine, said Godiva, pulling on the reins and slowing the horse to a walk. She passed out through the castle grate and onto the cobblestones of the high street. The earl clenched his eyes shut. He wished he could shut his ears too. Despite all the arguing, he loved his wife. He didn't want to see or hear her being laughed at by the townsfolk. But as she rode forward, all he could hear was the clip-clop, clip-clop of the horse's hooves on the cobblestones. He opened his eyes. He realised there were no townspeople in the streets. It didn't make sense. It was high noon on market day. The streets should have been bustling. But all the town people were in their houses. You see, early that morning, Godiva had gone into town and explained her predicament to the townspeople. They were all so grateful for her efforts. They promised to stay in with all their windows and all their doors locked so they would get their taxes lifted, but her dignity could be preserved. Leofric watched his wife ride stark naked with nothing to protect her dignity except her long hair as she rode the full length of the high street and back again. You tricked me, he said. I did not trick you, said Godiva. I outsmarted you. There's a difference. The townspeople knew I was fighting a great chocolate injustice on their behalf, and they readily agreed to aid me. I am proud of you and ashamed of myself, said the Earl. I was not brave enough to embarrass myself before the king, yet you were prepared to risk embarrassing yourself in front of a whole city. I shall lift the chocolate tax. yelled all the townspeople as they burst out of their houses. Godiva was still naked, so she made a run for it back into the castle. But in the version of the story I heard, interrupted Derek, wasn't there one person who looked? Wasn't he called Peeping Tom? Oh, yes, that's right, said Nanny Piggins, although his real name was not Tom. It wasn't, asked Samantha? No, it was Bramwell. Bramwell? As in Bramwell Piggins, one of your distant male relatives, asked Michael. Indeed, said Nanny Piggins. As you know, I had a no-good relative called Bramwell, who had been a tailor to an emperor in another land. Yeah, the emperor with no clothes, said Samantha. Yes, Bramwell had been on the run ever since that incident, said Nanny Piggins. To evade the angry, naked emperor, he'd changed his name to Tom and moved to the city of Coventry. Bramwell actually really loved Coventry because one of the Earl's many ridiculous taxes was a tailoring tax, which meant no one in Coventry could afford to get a suit made, which suited Bramwell because he didn't like making suits. It was the perfect place to be a tailor who did nothing. But he hadn't been in the city for long, so he had never seen the great noble lady, Godiva. When Bramwell heard that a beautiful fine lady would be riding naked down the high street, he didn't see why he couldn't sneak a quick little peek. Who would ever know? 
he crept over to the window of his shop and pressed his eyeball to the keyhole. And he was struck blind before he could see anything, asked Samantha. Oh no, he saw everything, said Nanny Piggins. And he was horrified because he recognised Godiva. She was his sister. They were both Pigginses after all, but they hadn't seen each other since they were little piglets in the pigsty when they'd both run away from home. Now no one wants to see their sister looking like that. Bramwell ran to the kitchen and grabbed the first thing to hand and pressed it to his eyes to blot out the visual memory. Unfortunately, the first thing to hand was a piping hot cake out of the oven and he got terrible burns over his face but that taught him a lesson the end time for bed but nanny piggins we're sitting on a footpath outside a chocolate shop Derek reminded her oh yes so we are said nanny piggins i suppose it would be foolish to go to sleep now i'll tell you what the all-night supermarket is open down the street how about we run down there and get some chocolate to see us through till the morning when this chocolate shop opens so that is just what they did And that is the end of the story. So thank you for listening. And until next time, from all of us here at the Belco Arts Centre in Canberra, good night! (laughs) 